Good morning, church family. If this is your first Sunday here at Windsor Road, we're just delighted uh, to be with you. I'm delighted to get to worship with you this morning. I'm Randy, and I'm the lead minister here at the church. And happy Father's Day. Um, hope you have a, a good day planned. Uh, you know, it's, I can't believe it. It was 40 years ago. It happened. Uh, my dad and I went on this father-son outing. We went to go see a faith healer. Some dads go take their boys fishing or ball game. We had to go see a faith healer, a bona-fide faith healer. Man. So my dad used to listen to this guy on the radio and um, found out he was going to be in town. So, you know, he said to me, get in the car, right? So we went to go. I didn't think I was a problem child, that we would need to go see a faith healer, you know, to change my behavior or something. I don't know. But we went to this 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 evangelist slash faith healer, and, and, and it was a four-hour service, okay? Now, now, if this is your first Sunday at Windsor Road, just relax, okay? So, but um, it was a four-hour service. The first hour was just all music, and I mean, the, it was just, they were just a rocking band. Then the second hour, this, this guy that my dad used to listen to, well, he, he was up. And man, he just preached. He was, he was one of those fiery preachers. He had, a, he had a big, big Bible open, and he had his handkerchief out. And he was, a, he was a screamer, and he was a pacer. So for about an hour, he screamed and paced and screamed and paced and screamed and paced. And, uh, and it's, it's crazy. I remember what he preached on. He preached on David. And wow, what a message it was. I'm 15 at the time, so I'm taking all this in. So after the second hour, then, then there, so he was an evangelist faith healer, and then he brought on another faith healer, okay? And so, and this guy was, wow, never, we've never seen anything like it. Now, now some of you may get worded out here in a minute, so just work with me. But, um, so... This guy had a prosthetic eye. And so he claimed that the Lord gave him the ability to see right with or without that prosthetic eye. And so when it was his turn uh, to be up, why, why, you know, we were at the downtown Tulsa, you know, Civic Center, Assembly Hall, concrete floor, folding chairs at the time. It was, it was packed. And so here was faith healer number two guy coming, and he had his prosthetic eye. So he's, he's a pacer. So he starts pacing, and he's going down the aisle and up the aisle and across. He pops out his eye. <laughs> I, you know, now I know, I know you're going, whoa. But, but, but see, I'm 15. I'm going, that is cool. <laughs> right? I'm 15. So you just got to think that way. And so, uh, so uh, and then he was, just wanted to show everybody that, wanted to show everybody his socket. So he came up front. And so he wrapped up his good eye. And then people started getting in line. He started reading their driver's license numbers. And I don't know how he did it. And Wow. I'm 15. I'm just going, whoa, golly, all right, bring it on. So after he was done, then 
evangelist number one gets back up and it's offering time, okay? So his offering plates were two big garbage cans. <laughs> and, the, and the folks just you know, filed down the middle and they, they put the money in the garbage cans and then filed back out. And, and I'll just never forget the, you know, the picture. The, the, by, by now, you know, uh, the, uh, the, the faith healer number one had taken off his jacket. And so he was just vest, white shirt, tie, pants. And man, people were coming down. And he was just smiling away. You know, people were filling up those garbage cans. So anyway, we got some new offering plates. <laughs> right? Not really. So, and then it wrapped up and there was music and that was the four hours of <laughs> time with my dad to see that faith healer in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I walked away with two thoughts about that. They're still with me after 40 years, okay? Thought number one, that was spooky weird. <laughs> I mean, that was just spooky weird. I just was like going, you know, so what was that about? Was this, I mean, it didn't, I mean, it didn't lend itself to something Christ-centered and Christ-exalting because you've got two, it was very personality-driven and very, you know, you know, you know, kind of name it and claim it. And, and if you believe, have enough faith, then you can be healed kind of, and it just did not lend itself to, you know, the Holy Spirit as I understand the Holy Spirit of the Scripture. And so it, just, it was just spooky weird is what it was. And, 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 and it just kind of felt a little, you know, counterfeit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to talk about a counterfeit today in the book of Acts. We're in a teaching series of the New Testament book of Acts. And take your Bibles and turn to the New Testament, book of Acts, chapter 8. Chapter 8. And I want to read verses 4 through 19. You'll find that on page 916 of your church Bibles, where we meet a, a religious wonder worker, a guy by the name of Simon the Magician. Okay, now not Simon Peter. Simon was a common name in the New Testament. This is someone named Simon the Magician or Simon the Great. Let's meet him. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. And they all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. 
But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John. Those are two of the apostles now. Who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. This is the Word of God. So Simon, Simon the magician, Simon the Great, Simon the Great, people didn't start calling him that until he first started calling himself that. <laughs> now when we hear the word magician in our world, we're thinking... I'm thinking Las Vegas Entertainer, David Copperfield, David Blaine, Ricky Jay, these entertainers, these performers who, you know, do sleight of hand, who do tricks and illusions, things like that. But in the ancient world, magician was a different type of term there. Um, in the ancient world, people viewed magic as a way of dealing with or coping with or managing reality. So if you needed, if you needed some insight as to, well, should I move or should I take this job or should I marry this person or do I have a decision that I need to make? Well, what do you do? Well, go to your fortune teller. That's what you do. And you go and you pay your fortune teller and they'll, they'll give you a spell or they'll give you an incantation or they'll give you a little uh, ornament or something that you can carry around with you. You buy a charm to protect you against an evil spirit. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. It's amazing how much magic appears, magic of this nature appears in the book of Acts. Well, write down these verses. In Acts chapter 13, uh, we meet someone named uh, Elymas, the magician, Acts 13, 8. And then there's Acts 16, 18, where we're introduced with this spirit-possessed girl, Acts 16, 18. And then Acts 19, 13, there's even mention of exorcists, exorcists, Acts 19, 13. I mean, this was their world. That was the world in which they lived. Now, in Acts chapter 8, Simon the Great has been amazing the Samaritans for quite some time. And he's a local celebrity. He's exotically dressed. He has spells and incantations. Luke, though, who wrote the book of Acts, Luke kind of portrays him as a quack. But a successful quack. Verse 10. 
He's got the people saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. Simon the Great, Simon the Magician. But then Philip came preaching the gospel. Philip, you remember Philip. Philip was one of the seven in Acts chapter 6 whose appointment was to take care of the widows in the church, the under-resourced. And, and he, along with Stephen, have extended ministry in the book of Acts. So not only do they take care of the widows, but especially Stephen and Philip are written about their preaching ministry. And we read about Stephen and his martyrdom in the book of Acts and how he faced down the Sanhedrin, the very body that had put Jesus to death. And he was this special attorney for King Jesus in a prophetic lawsuit against the council that put Christ to death. And he was martyred for that and stoned. And the Bible says that after his martyrdom, there arose a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. Saul of Tarsus was ravaging. That's a strong word. It means rape. Saul of Tarsus was ravaging the church. He was dragging off men and women, house to house to house to house. He would break in. He would find any evidence of uh, being a Christ follower, and off you go to jail. The apostles stayed in Jerusalem where it was dangerous. But the disciples, the church, the men and women and families, they fled. They scattered. Verse 4, now those who scattered went about preaching the word. Now that doesn't mean that they made a podium and started preaching behind the podium. It means that they shared the gospel. They shared the story of Christianity. They shared Jesus. And, and they told others wherever they went, when they fled Jerusalem to whatever villages they went to, why are you here? Let us tell you why we're here. And they told the story of Jesus. And they told their story and the difference Jesus had made in their life. And, and that's important because it's not like the church grew because the paid professionals gave these riveting sermons. So that, that's not how the church expanded beyond Jerusalem with the, with the apostles preaching. What happened was is that the body of Christ, the men and women and the families, they went and they scattered and they, they told what Jesus had done to their lives. And people believed them. And the church continued to grow, even in persecution. When persecuted, they scattered. And when they scattered, they preached. And when they preached, more and more came to Christ. In fact, that word scattered has the word picture of scattering like scattering seed that's planted. And then it sprouts, and then it grows, and then there's a harvest. And although Stephen was murdered, and although Saul was ravaging the church, the church. God meant it for good. And the church grew and lives were changed. And for the first time, the gospel goes outside Jerusalem. Remember in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus told his disciples, he told the people, he said, he said, but when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem 
and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So in Acts chapters 1 through 7, we see the growth of the gospel throughout Jerusalem. But here in Acts chapter 8, there's a pivot toward Jerusalem and Samaria. Samaria? Samaria. Samaria. In Acts 8, the gospel comes to Samaria. Now, you don't have to read too far in the New Testament to figure out that the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. I mean, they hated each other. They, they had doctrinal differences. Uh, they had uh, historical differences. Uh, they had worship differences, and they had racial differences. In fact, John chapter 4, verse 9, summarizes the relationship between the Jews and the Samaritans. Here it is, John 4, 9. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. There it is. But Philip goes to Samaria. And in verses 6 through 9, it says he preaches the word. He heals by both miracle and medicine. Philip performed word ministry and deed ministry. And people responded. Now think about that for just a moment. Think about that. Philip was a Greek-speaking Hebrew who went outside of his comfort zone with the message of the cross. And people responded. Let that be a lesson for all of us. Sometimes the people that we think are, will be least responsive to the message of the gospel are, in fact, people who will respond if we just talk, if we just share. And as a result, the unresponsive in Philip's original mind, well, they became responsive, and there was, there was the flourishing of Christianity. And then there's this beautiful phrase in verse 8. So there was much joy in that city. Not everybody responded to the gospel, but everybody had joy. And that's what makes the gospel good news. See, we're here to be a blessing to our community. We're here to bring joy. We want to do word ministry and deed ministry. And, and by the Spirit's help, we want to live such remarkable lives that, are, you know, our community says, well, I don't know if I believe what you believe, but I sure am glad you're here. You bring joy wherever you go. And Philip was there because he's full of the Spirit and wisdom and to be full of the Spirit means to want what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit wants Philip in Samaria. Where does the Holy Spirit want you? Where does he want you? Where's your Samaria? Hmm. Well, Simon the magician, Simon the great, Simon the takes his prosthetic eyeball out, sees this. And now he's the one who's amazed. See, he who had amazed others, and twice we read that, he who had amazed others is himself amazed. Verse 13, and even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip and, and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now, Luke wants us to be suspicious about his so-called conversion because Luke wants us to know that to be amazed with Christ is not the same as putting faith in Christ. 
Admiring Christ is not the same as trusting Christ. And, well, you know, even a, a self, uh, even, a, even a, an imposter is self-confident um, in a group like Samaria. Simon was this charlatan. He's this imposter, and he'd been fooling people for quite some time now, and so much so they're calling him great. And an imposter, you need to kind of get proud, kind of condescending view on other people because you're fooling them and they're too dumb to know the difference. And you kind of have this attitude about you. And if you're an imposter, you know, you just, you, just, you know, you're taking them and, and they just, they just, they're just so naive. And, you, and an imposter can even take another imposter in that scenario because you can just kind of divide because there'll be enough for everybody. But what an imposter cannot deal with is the real deal. And Philip was the real deal. Because when the real deal shows up, see, now the real deal can expose the imposter, right? And so it's, Simon's jig is up. <laughs> and his baptism, eh, I don't know, you know? Because being amazed is not the same as faith. But back in Jerusalem, the apostles learn about this spiritual renaissance that's going on in Samaria. So they send Peter and John down from Jerusalem to Samaria to visit, to pray over their new brothers and sisters in Christ, and to lay hands upon them so that the Holy Spirit will fall upon the Samaritans just like Pentecost. And that's what we see in verses 16 and 17. For he had not yet fallen, that's the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's a he, not an it. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Question. Why hadn't the Holy Spirit come upon them? What's up with that? <laughs> Well, there's a lot that's been written. I found that out this week in my research. And um, let me summarize it. The answer may just be that God wanted the leadership of the church at an apostolic level to see and experience and endorse a people group who had been historic enemies of Israel. God wanted his own apostles to experientially Know that the gospel is not monoethnic. It's multi-ethnic, multiracial, multicultural. The people of God are, in fact, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation and from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb. It was important for the apostles to be witnesses of this. You see, in the first century, a witness was not just someone who, who takes the stand in a court of law. A witness stands by the event itself. To be a witness is to be a participant. So Peter would say later in Acts 15, 11, but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. 
Who's they? Anybody who's not Hebrew. That's the they, including these Samaritans. So in Christ, there is no we or they. In Christ, there's just us. And that's why the apostles are there, accrediting Philip's ministry, praying for and placing hands on the Samaritans. You've got to understand how big that is because historically, I mean, Israel, just their mindset was, is a, you know, there's, there's, there's dogs and then there's Samaritans. But here the apostles lay their hands upon their brothers and sisters in Christ. And what six centuries of the law could not accomplish, the gospel does in a matter of days. For in Christ we are one. And Simon sees all this, and now he's really amazed. I mean, first he saw what Philip had done, and you know, now Peter and John, the apostles, they come on the scene, and and Simon wants in. Simon wants to get in on the franchise. So he's willing to pay Peter to mentor and tutor him in the mysterious ways of the Holy Spirit. You know, let, let me pay you to be your subordinate. You know, like Philip. See, that's what he was thinking. You know, I want to be another, I want to be another lieutenant like Philip. That's how it worked back then in the pagan world. You saw a pagan priest that you liked and you'd become their apprentice. Peter, I want to be your apprentice. I want to, I want to be your apprentice priest under you just like Philip. That was just kind of like his point of view. And so he goes to Peter and John. He's got cash in hand. He says, he says to Peter, he says, he says here, 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 take some of this now. Take some of this now. Let me have some of that. I'll give you some of this. You let me have some of that. But you know who he's talking to? He's talking to Peter. Peter is the apostle who blurts, right? He blurts. He kind of typically talks, and then he kind of thinks about what he just said, only by then it's too late, right? Like when he blurted out to Jesus, you know, Lord, if that's you, I'll step out on the boat. Let me walk with you on the water. Come on out. Then he blurts out, oh, Lord, if everybody else abandons you, I will never abandon you. And now Simon offers Peter money for the Holy Spirit's power. And Peter hears this, and then he's horrified, and he blurts. And this is what he says. To hell with you and your money. Yeah. Preachers like to tell this sermon because I get to say that without <laughs> being punished by the elders at the next elders meeting. I'm just teaching in the Bible. So I'll say it again. To hell with you and your money. Verse 20. May your silver perish with you. That's what that means, to perish in eternal damnation. May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You've neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you, for I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Strong words, huh? He says, if possible, if possible. Peter's going, I don't, 
I don't know about you. You just may be a lost cause. Wow. And he just has two just corrective words. Repent. Turn from and turn to. Turn. Repent and pray. Repent and pray. And, and, and Simon says, well, no, no, yeah, you, you pray for me. Peter goes, no, you pray. You repent. You turn to God. I can't do that for you. You've got to own it. Your heart is not straight. Your motives are evil. You, you think it's about you. You keep calling yourself great. Nobody else is calling you great, but you call yourself great. What's your problem? You may have fooled the crowds, but you, you know what? You don't fool God. Why'd you get baptized anyway? What was that about? Man, you are in bondage. You're in bondage. Strong words, huh? Strong words. Now, why such strong words? Well, again, think about it. Think about who Simon's talking to. Simon's talking to Peter. The Peter who denied Jesus when Jesus needed Peter most. And you know what happened after that? Peter experienced the grace of Jesus. Jesus brought Peter back in. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. Do you love me? You know I love you. Feed sheep. Do you love me? No, I love you. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. And then that's what we see Peter doing in Acts chapters 1 through 12. Peter's this, the leading apostle. Grace means that your past does not have to define you. Grace means there's, there's hope for a wonderful future. Hmm. On Friday here at the church, we, we did the memorial service for our dear sister in Christ, Betty Neff. Hmm. Chester's here. 65 years, church family. They were married 65 years. I want that. And as Chester was telling me about Betty's life and upbringing, you know, I was fully expecting to hear that, you know, Betty's parents just had a long legacy of a long marriage, but that wasn't the case. No, her mother was married and divorced three times, and, and you know, those divorce trials took place in the 40s and the 50s, and, and you know, I mean, it was a scandal in a small town, and, and, and yet grace changes everything. Grace changes everything. And grace means that your past does not have to define you. And so when Peter hears Simon's offer to monetize what can never, ever be monetized, you know, how could I ever financially profit from undeserved grace given by an unobligated giver? You can understand why he said what he said. And this takes us to our big idea. And it's simply this church family. Grace isn't for sale. Grace isn't for sale. I mean, you know, th these verses aren't just about a greedy Samaritan 
magician who wants more money. I mean, that's, 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 the, that's the waiting pool understanding of this passage of Scripture. If we get into the deep end, what we're looking at here is someone who possesses a defective view of God our Father. And that's what Luke wants Theophilus to beware of. Yes, Theophilus, you're going to be scattered to places outside your comfort zone. And in those places are defective views of God, but Christianity can compete with those places because Christianity is grounded in truth. And the truth is this, grace isn't for sale. You can't buy it ever. You can't. In Simon's point of view, you know, he wants to buy it so that he can control it and franchise it and monetize it the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is not a commodity. The Holy Spirit is a person, and the Holy Spirit will not be controlled. The Holy Spirit comes as he pleases. And if he wants to come on people before they are baptized or after they are baptized or while they're baptized, he comes when he wants to come because he's the Holy Spirit and he doesn't take orders. And you can't buy that. And you can't be moral enough for that. And Simon wants to purchase what will never be for sale. And you know what? Sometimes we do. Sometimes we, we have that inner Simon in us where, you know, we want to cut a deal with God. God, you know, I'll go to church, but I need some magic at work. God, I'll, I'll get into some religious activities, but I want some magic with that person in my life. Well, God, I need some help on this exam that's coming up. <laughs> Give me some magic. How much will it take? How much will it take? Why do we think that way? We think that way because we have a hard time believing that God loves us the way he says he loves us. And so we gravitate toward good works, not because we love God or others, but because we can't conceive of a God who knows everything about us and still loves us no matter what. Church family, God doesn't give us grace because he's convinced it will yield results. <laughs> He gives us grace to convince us that we are loved. And you cannot buy that. Grace isn't for sale. And the fact is, you couldn't afford the purchase price anyway. Could we? But Jesus could. And so on the cross, he paid with his life so that we might freely receive. On the cross, he was scattered so that we might have joy. The joy of grace. The gift of God's Spirit. God himself. God himself. His own presence with us. Hallelujah. David Powelson is a counselor, and he has a book coming out in August on restoring the sexually broken. And he says there are four game-changing words. Write these words down. I am with you. 
I am with you. He says, you know, Bible verses aren't magic, but God's words are revelations of God from God for us. And when you actually remember that, that God is with us, when you actually remember God, you don't sin. And the only way we ever sin is by suppressing God, by forgetting, by tuning out His voice, by switching channels and listening to other voices. When you actually remember, you actually change. In fact, remembering is the first change. I am with you. Are you afraid of the future? I am with you. What if a part of your body has died? I am with you. What if your spouse has died? Your parent, your child, a dream? I am with you. What if you're facing a temptation to some awful sin? I am with you. What if you're overwhelmed by the grime of past failures? You feel guilty and shameful and unacceptable and you say, how could God ever accept me? I am with you. God is not shocked by the ugliness of our real-time evils. He gave his life for Peter, knowing what Peter was going to do. He knew the Peter who denied him and the Peter who would fearlessly preach at Pentecost for him. And so whatever your struggle, I am with you, changes the terrain of the battle. Because when you know God is with you, then you can start to see a fork in the road, the way to life, the way to righteousness, the way through. Your choices count, and you can choose Christ, and you cannot buy that. You can't. Grace isn't for sale. I don't know what became of Simon. He just sort of falls off the pages of Scripture. Church history doesn't speak too highly of him. But the story goes on in verse 25. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Wow. Wow. Hey, what would this community look like if there was a church that lived like grace wasn't for sale? Well, what if we let that grace scatter us to our Samaria? And what if we fearlessly shared the gospel of grace, telling of the God who created this world, who has crazy love for us and has demonstrated that in the sending of his son who, uh, who lived and, and died and rose and has ascended on high as the king of heaven and earth? And what if we let that truth fearlessly take its place in, 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 in a marketplace of crazy philosophies and ideas? And what if we back that up with a, with a spirit-infused, attractive life? And, and yeah, what if we needed to, time to time, correct the silly notions of the egocentric Simons who assume that you can only get something for something? What if there were times we would need to speak tough love and, 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 as well as tender love? And, and what if we had the wisdom to know the difference? And all of this to share the grace that we have received, but it's too good to keep to ourselves. The grace that says, I am with you. What if? Let's be that church. 
Let's be that church. That's why we're here. That's why we gather. That's why, that's why we're going to have almost 200 children here this week at Camp Velocity. That's why we're sending almost 10% of our church out on missions trips this summer. That's why we're going to be out at Champaign-Urbana Days later this summer. That's why God has put us in our community to bring joy to our community. Grace isn't for sale. Yeah, I learned two things that night with my dad. Thing number one, that was spooky weird. Uh, yeah, I still haven't figured it out. It's all right. But the other thing I learned far outweighed the first thing. I learned how much my dad loved me. Really. <laughs> we were walking out in the car after that faith healer. And I remember he gave me a look. Because I think he saw the look on my face, the spooky, weird look on my face. He gave me a look that said, you know, I don't know about what we saw either. But I sure did enjoy seeing it with you. I'm with you. I love you, son. You cannot buy that. You can't. Grace isn't for sale. Thanks be to God. Amen.